pipes are Mitch. Hey everybody, I'm so sorry it's taken so long for this next episode to come out. Things have been extremely busy here, but I promise this one's worth the wait. So my next guest today is a former international cricket umpire spanning a career from 1988 to 2007. He's umpired at the highest level in all forms of the game. Now this umpire may be considered controversial in some of the decisions he's made throughout his career. He once called no balls on the greatest wicket taker of all time, Mattia Muralitharan from Sri Lanka. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And he also, he and another umpire made allegations against the Pakistani cricket team for ball tampering. My next guest was also on the International Cricket Elite Council. And he and I met here in Orange at the radio station gig 107.5. He's the secretary and along with his wife run this station. My next guest is also extremely prolific and has many, many talents. He is a certified neuro-linguistic programmer. He is also an Australian Sports Commission accredited trainer. He has had a hand in training the next generation of umpires and also accomplished public speaker and accomplished author by producing various books about his life and about his time in the game. He's also an incredible broadcaster. He's taught me many things. So I hope you can sit back, relax, enjoy the episode and some of the stories in his own words and I hope you enjoy it. I'd like to introduce the legendary Daryl Hare. It's Mr. Daryl Hare. How are you going today? Yeah, good, thanks. Mitch, that's good. real good. That's good. So as I, you haven't had this amazing introduction yet, but I go on over some of your bona fides and I thought <laughs> we could talk about your life today and your career and yeah. post-cricket in like the form of like a timeline. Yeah, should and, anybody um, want to know, there, uh, I'm happy to tell it. <laughs> sweet. And um, I also figured there's a fir- there's, this podcast has two sections, great storytelling, which we'll delve into, but this first part's a great ice-breaking tool. Hmm. And Daryl is wondering, would you like to help? Would you like to join me in having a bitchy with Mitchy this week? A bitchy with Mitchy? Yeah, yeah. why not? Uh, I suppose we could go and um, have a bitch about all the television replays that are oh. fi- finding batsmen out by uh, you know a, a millimetre or something like that. Yeah, this... uh, the game wasn't meant to be perfect, but um, the problem with that is it seems to have filtered down to you know the lesser levels, and people are expecting you know, really brilliant decisions to be made when there's only, you know, a, a fraction in it. Yeah. And the old benefit of the doubt of the batsman seems to have gone out the window. That's um, that's interesting you say that because it, it's like, you know, as, as sport, as technology evolves, you know, your World Cup soccer this year, your rugby league and all that stuff, people forget that the people making these decisions, even with the technology, are still human. Mm, and they're still right. going to get, like, they're still going to get decisions wrong, even if I might think something's decision a and decision b to the person down the road yeah yeah so you it's you never really stop to think about the mm. officials of the games do you yeah. but well you know you're right uh, different officials might see that uh, that fraction of an inch uh, differently you know yeah. and, and some might say oh, i'm not not satisfied that it's out and give him not out and others will say i can see a clear margin there yeah. it's a little bit like a, a dead heat on a on, on the racetrack you know if the judge can't find a margin he says well it's a dead heat if you can find the slimmest of margin with all the technology, uh, that's the way it goes. But cricket wasn't meant to be like a horse race, Yeah, surely. Oh, no, I, <laughs> I generally have more beers at the cricket than at the horse races. And I shout out to the... I used to play all-age cricket at the Edgeworth Tavern. Um, shout out to you fellas. Bowling pies ever since 2006. How good. Oh, but, yeah. uh, Edgeworth, eh? Beautiful up near Cardiff somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, the two yeah. suburbs over, yeah. Mm. I, um, we played Cardiff, Warners Bay, quite a bit. Mm. And uh, there's a bit of a rivalry till this day. And if I ever go back up to play up there, yeah. you got some pork pies coming your way, fellas. Look there's, out. There's nothing wrong with rivalry in cricket, just as long as we all get along together after and um, have a beer. That's right. Yeah. Well, we used to 
sell cans of beer for three fifty. <laughs> and um, if you're umpiring, you know, you take one out behind the stumps. <laughs> if we didn't have an official, we always have to do it in our clubs, yeah. of course. But uh, we played at an extremely low level. Hmm. Now, that's... That's an interesting point, and fair enough. I was just going to bitch about all the reruns of like old Christmas movies on TV. Yeah, well, um, it's all the I same. mean, how often do we have to see Bar Humbug and all that sort of thing? Oh, it's yeah. <laughs> so my my parents, uh, my, or my mum and stepdad, took them a while to get into the streaming yeah. game. Mind you, I, I, I could always watch Chevy Chase putting up his uh, Christmas lights a uh, hundred oh, times more. We actually <laughs> did, did watch uh, National Lampoon. So. That's that's one that never dies with me. <laughs> and when he gets his Christmas check at the end, he goes yeah. all postal yeah. on everyone. It's quite funny. Yeah, yeah where's the Tylenol? <laughs> <laughs> Absolute classic. But yeah, like Christmas. Um, so obviously it's been a while since the last pod's come out, so I hope everyone's had a great Christmas. At the time of recording, this is the 28th, so going into the new year, so happy new year to everyone. And so it's been like three months since we've done one of these, just due to being busy and, and stuff like that. So I apologise to everyone. But um, it's always good to have a good, I use it as an ice-breaking tool. So as I said in the intro, I know Daryl by, I do the announcing, some of the announcing here at 107.5. Just did a show, actually, and uh, he's the secretary, pretty much, quote-unquote, the boss. He's taught me <laughs> quite a few things, um, reined in my, my presenting style, and just makes it makes me a little bit better. So we'll talk a little bit about the broadcasting days, um, mm. post-cricket life soon, if you'd like to. But um, So after a good bitch, now comes good storytelling. I'd like to transition into the first question that I always like to ask people. How did you initially get started in cricket? You know, Where did the love of the game uh, start off with you? Um, probably listening to um, the Ashes in England in the early 60s uh, on a crystal radio set uh, uh, up at number one Molong Road where we used to live. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, um, my brother, older, I'm the youngest of the family, I'm the baby, and my older brother, seven years older, he was really into cricket. So, you know, when I was eight or nine, uh, that's what you listen to all night, uh, sharing the bedroom with your brother. Uh, you have to listen to what he wants to listen to. And that was the cricket. But uh, no, it was great. And, you know, I really got interested in it at school. And um, because I was a bit taller than, you know, for my age, I suppose I was able to uh, bowl a bit quicker at that yep. uh, at that stage. Because you are a tall hero. What are you, six foot six? six oh, six foot four and, six and foot shrinking. Four. Oh, power <laughs> over me. Uh, um, yeah, so the love of the game really sort of started from there. And. And, uh, you know, from the age of 12, uh, even though I was still at school, I was able to um, hang around uh, the, the great men's cricketers in the afternoon, Saturday afternoons and all day Sundays. And yep. and um, I was lucky. I also had uh, a great family from Mudgee uh, on mum's side. Uh, all of her brothers played cricket. So so cricket was always, um, if we went over there for holidays, uh, cricket was always discussed around the dinner table and yep. everywhere else. Yeah, nice. So, yeah, mm. born and bred here in the Central West. Yep, uh, born in Mudgee, uh, raised in Orange. Yep. Yeah, cool. Mm. So, um, obviously, you had your hand. You played cricket for a long time. You eventually ended up in North Sydney. Is that right? And you played yeah. here in your early 30s? Yeah. Um, I started out at North Sydney when I left here in 1972-73. I played a couple of seasons at North Sydney. And then in 76, uh, I went to uh, Mossman down the road. And the Mossman Cricket Ground is, uh, is beautiful. It's the home of Alan Border yep. um, and uh, Stan McCabe. Who, um, Some big names. Yeah, the Stan McCabe gates are what you walk through, and that's one of the great traditions about cricket. And I think, you know, we've got to we've got to remember those uh, those things from you know, the way the game was played in the old days. It's a little bit different now, but yeah. So uh, I spent uh, my last eight years uh, playing at Mossman. Yep. I was a very good second grader, but not much of a first grader. And what uh, 
you had to stop due to an injury in your back, is that right? Oh, I had knee problems, but um, um, I decided at the ripe old age of uh, 34 that uh, um, it was time to to give it away and yeah. Um, uh, yeah, just a chance meeting with my accountant actually, um, who was on the Cricket New South Wales board at the time, he said, oh, they're looking for umpires, uh, you know, former players, would you be interested? And I said, oh, I might be. So he reached into his bag, never never wanted to let a chance go by. He reached into his bag and pulled out a form and said, here, fill this in. Yeah, right. And that was it. Well, I still had to do an examination and you know, understand what the laws of cricket were all about. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's all sort of started from there and I was very happy first couple of seasons just umpiring all my mates that I just finished playing with around uh, northern Sydney down at Manly and uh, northern districts and north Sydney Gordon all those people great friends that you'd made while you were playing mm. and now I was out there umpiring them so uh, yeah after that I suppose things just um, I was lucky in being the right place at the right time when there was a few retirements and got the chance to move upwards yeah so how does one go from uh, cricket uh, umpiring cricket from you know the local grades then did you do like the the state cup and then international like how did you yeah. transition up yeah uh, obviously you, you need to be in first grade uh, in the sydney competition and uh, i'd been in the first grade for two years there and um a couple of second 11 games and uh, state under 19 uh, uh, tournaments things like that uh, which sort of gave you the opportunity to umpire three and four day cricket instead of just uh, you know every Saturday to Saturday like uh, grade cricket is, and um, yeah, so that's the that's the progression. And uh, obviously, first class cricket, Sheffield Shield cricket, uh, it was a dream to to umpire on the SCG. I never got to play there. I did play at the old SCG number two back in the seventies uh, before it became um, the. Um, the football stadium. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, it was. Um, uh, that's the progression anyway. You've, yeah, you've, right. you've got to you've got to prove yourself at, at you know sort of lower grade level up to first grade, and then um, uh, if you're uh, well enough liked and you're able to make a few decent decisions, um, I think you know the opportunity is always there to to move upwards. Yeah. So was it the year nine in eighty eight? You made your first yep. international yep. cricket. Yep. Umpiring debut? Uh, that was the first Sheffield Shield Sheffield, game. Sheffield yeah. Shield, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so then, uh, yeah, did uh, two more years of, uh, of Sheffield Shield and um, uh, got invited to do a couple of one-day internationals in the 90-91 season when the West Indies were out here. Mm. Uh, it was a great pleasure to umpire Mr. Kirkley Ambrose and uh, Mr. Courtney Walsh. and <laughs> Big names. Yeah, all those fellas. Um, so um, umpired a few one-day internationals and then uh, did my first test in 91. That Adelaide Oval, so yeah. Who was uh, you, so it was Australia versus West Indies your first uh, test? Uh, Australia, India. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So you know, in your time, you would you got to umpire some of the biggest names like generational cricketers like Brian Lara, uh, Sachin Tendulkar, Ricky Ponting, just to name a few. Mm. And you know, being a cricket fan, were you ever on the field just pinching yourself, going, <laughs> "I can't believe I'm here." Um, yeah, look, you do to start with, uh, but I think you realise that you can't be distracted by all that. Um, you know, you're there to do a job, and the worst thing you, you want to do is make a fool of yourself. It, I mean, yeah. it's easy to do, um, oh, yeah. and I've done it a few times, but um, you try to you try to minimise that. So uh, once you step over the you know the boundary on your way out there, you've really got to clear your mind and and all the training that you did and all the all the processes that you put in place to keep your concentration levels up mm. that's what you've got to think about and and disregard everything else well that's right like you know you're making a living so you got to be switch on professional yep. that was me clicking my fat fingers in the background <laughs> i generally do these over zoom but we're actually in the studios at 1075 here mm. with my little plastic 
yep. talking stick. So hopefully mm-hmm. the audio sounds okay. Yeah, and, um, and the wonderful studio it is too. Oh, this is your this is your studio, <laughs> isn't it? So um, so I was going to ask you like of all the games over your entire career, of all the games you got to umpire around the world, was there a stadium or like a like an atmosphere in a crowd that you thought that was so electric? Like, can you think mm. of a standout like crowd you got to? Yeah, um, like. my first overseas test actually was in Barbados in in um, um, the Caribbean, and yeah, you got to pinch yourself when they say, "Oh, you know, we'd like you to umpire a, a test match when it's in Barbados," and think, "Well, uh, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> what a great place to be!" Oh, and, it's picturesque. And, yeah, and it, and it is, but um, just the crowd there. There, uh, it's only a, was was only a small ground at the time. I think probably held about eighteen, nineteen thousand people, mm. but they were very much on top of you. And um, and and but the the hush as the bowler was running into bowl, you know, in anticipation of, of, of what was going to happen, and then you know the the ooh or the ah after you know a batsman plays and misses. Um, they're very knowledgeable uh, crowd, but they're a very fair crowd as well. You know, when uh, the opposition play a good shot or, or take a wicket, they're, yeah. um, they're, they're happy to, uh, you know, um, uh, support good cricket. So, yeah, Barbados was pretty uh, pretty special. Yeah, uh, nice. I've never been to that part of the world, mm, but I'd like to. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you think of fans, you, you, you think generally think of the West Indies fans, they don't have a reputation at all. They're just mm. there. They enjoy the vibes. Yeah. You know, of course, you got your barmy armies or what have you. <laughs> they tend to be a bit rowdy, but you know, well, that's good to see that they're able to sort of just enjoy it for what it was and mm. enjoy the game. Yeah. So I did have a question for you. So you you've been umpiring the top level for a few years at this point, and uh, some may call this controversial, some may not. Um, <laughs> there was a the greatest, or they say the greatest wicket taker of all time, Matai Muralitharan of Sri Lanka, had a very unique uh, bowling style. He bowled spin, and uh, there was a quote unquote controversial potential call made mm. um you called no ball against his his action in your words like what was the thought process at the time because it was quite unorthodox wasn't any style it was unorthodox but yeah you had to work out the um you know the chaff from the seeds i suppose yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah if, you, if you want to put it like that yeah. um you know if there was the, the law was quite clear that if if the arm straightened uh, during delivery, yep. uh, it was a no ball, and uh, there was no tolerance. It wasn't whether it was just you know a five degree tolerance or ten or fifteen, although that's what came out of it. Because and people say, oh, you know, um, he ended up going on and taking seven hundred test wickets, and that's fine. But the ICC did actually put in place uh, a tolerance level, yep. so you can't you know you can you can bend your arm a little bit, but uh, but not, not past that. And whether that was policed properly or not over the over the ensuing decade, you know, is it not up to me to decide. But um, so there was a change made uh, for the better out of that. Um, uh, so on the day, what happened? So far as I'm concerned, I can I can live comfortably with it. And, no, uh, you just yeah. if there's rules set by the ICC, <laughs> like you're yeah. just following through with those rules. Yeah. So well, they were the laws of cricket at the time, but as I say, you know, slight changes have been made, which allows people to um, straighten their arm a little bit. Yep. Um, but um, uh, whether you, whether people feel that is still fair is another matter. That's, yeah, I, that's for others to decide now. Well, there's a yeah, it's got written here. I don't know how how uh, recent these stats are, but come after that, I found an article that said that the ICC allowed the elbow to raise to 15 degrees. Yeah. So, but you know, I, look, you just did what you thought was right at the time. Yeah. No one can. No one can. 
Is there yeah. anything negative about that? I d- didn't have a set square out there or a, or an angle thing, you know, thing no. to to measure it halfway through his uh, bowling action. No. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I I I say kudos to you, like just because you're, you're there doing your job, and as you said before, like officials of any game, whether it's giving a penalty in the World Cup or mm. you know calling a no ball. Yep. Unfortunately, yeah, someone's going to like it and someone's not. Yeah, officials mm. in the game are just yeah. doing what they think is best. So, yeah. and I think if anyone out there is a fan yeah. of any sport, yeah. just respect that yeah. too. The fact that they're doing the best they can. Well, basically, you know, if you cut it down into into a simple chunk, uh, an umpire is there to try and ensure that if one side breaks the, the the rules, the other side has an advantage. You can't have you know one side breaking the rules and the other side being disadvantaged as well. Yeah, that's right. So, so you know, it's uh, that's what it is. You know, someone's someone's offside in in rugby league or makes a high tackle, they get penalised for it and they lose ground and they might lose a lose a man to the sin bin, etc. Um, so that's what officiating is all about. It's you know yellow cards in in soccer. Uh, you know, uh, code violations in tennis. You know, they're there to ensure that both players get a get a, a fair break of uh, um, you know and a, and a chance to win the game on their merits, rather than you know going outside the the laws and rules of games. Yeah. Could you? This is just an off the cuff question. Could you have your time again? You could pick any sport to officiate. Would you change from cricket? Would you try something else? Um, I often thought, um, you know, I'd enjoy uh, umpiring rugby because um, whilst I liked rugby league as a kid, I, I grew to like rugby union more. Mm. And um, I, I think that uh, I, I would have gone in, if, if I had it, I would have had a, a different uh, sort of thought set to a lot of rugby referees who are very technical. You know, they, they make it a very technical game. And uh, when it's played by, you know, uh, 20 stone prop forwards, <laughs> you know, crashing their heads each, against each other in the scrum, uh, the technicalities are, um, are something that you, I think referees need to, you know, sort of take away a little bit. And, and if it's a physical contest, um, you know, let the let the stronger man win. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, rugby union is a game I, I would have liked yeah. to have, have had a go at. Yeah, nice. So, you know, so you'd been, uh, so as I said before, you you umpired from for the best part of 20 years professionally. Um, now, in that time, you were, in 2003, I believe it was, you were appointed to the elite panel of, uh, of umpiring with mm-hmm. Billy Bowden. Mm-hmm. For those of you who may not remember, Billy Bowden was quite um, mm. eccentric with his, with his <laughs> umpiring, with his somewhat. finger going up, and, <laughs> and Simon Torfel, I hope yep. I'm saying that right. Yep. How was that, like, mm. when you received that news? How was, how well, was that being part of the yeah, elite we- We'd been, uh, I'd been umpiring you know, international cricket here and overseas since 1994, but what they decided to do was uh, we were still part-time, really. You know, uh, we, we Even if we were doing Sheffield Shield matches or a one-day international here or something in New Zealand or, or South Africa, we'd come back and we're, we had a job, you know. Uh, we had a, a real job to go to. Now, the two things come into that. It's hard to find an employer who wants to give you time off all the time to go and enjoy your passion. Yeah. And secondly, if uh, sport wants professional uh, officials you know, to, to put in the time and effort, uh, they should have been paid accordingly. And that's, that's how the, the full-time international panel came about, where uh, they were, you know, you're under a retainer plus match fees, etc. But you're expected to be available to go anywhere, everywhere. And... Um, you're at the beck and call of the ICC, so, but that that was good because at least while you're in the middle of the of the um, you know the uh, wanderer's ground at Johannesburg, you don't want to be thinking about what you've got to do when you when you get back home uh, in your other job. Mm, that's true. <laughs> you want to be thinking about uh, what's going on in the, at the cricket this very moment. So, so it uh, it took a lot of a um, lot of the, the strain off. Um, 
being able to you know de- just devote all your time to to um, being a cricket umpire. So how was it? How would uh, how did your sort of role change when you were appointed on the elite panel? Like as different as opposed to what it was. So obviously the job mm. you could really, you could just focus on the role of cricket as opposed to coming home doing whatever. Mm. What are some of the other changes that happened with it as well? Um, well, you know, you had the opportunity if you wanted to to um, put your hand up and, and do um, uh, umpire training for you know the, what they call the uh, ICC uh, second um, second division type tournaments, which involved Ireland, Scotland, Holland, um, uh, Namibia, all those um, all those second tier countries, Canada, USA, and there was quite a lot of tournaments uh, going on at the time. So I put my hand up and said, you know, I'd like to go and help, and. I met a lot of umpires there who were basically like I was in 1985. They were club umpires back home. Yep. Uh, they had no support whatsoever, um, really, from their home uh, associations. But they were they were selected to uh, get a bit of a taste of, of uh, you know, international cricket just below the top level, and uh, you know, getting the the, the talented people um, to understand cricket umpiring at, at that level. Uh, was a challenge, but it was one that uh, I enjoyed, and I know most of the people I uh, I dealt with enjoyed as well. That's cool. You've, so you've been able to go all around the world, you know, reaping what you sow. You know, you mm. put in the hard yards and then teach yep. the next generation. I think that's yep. come from that. Your time on the panel is a few years later. I wanted to ask you as well. Is it the fourth day of the fourth test between England and Pakistan, and uh, the first ever test where a team has forfeit, forfeited, mm. forfeit, however you said. The, yourself and the other umpire who was at the game? Yeah, Billy Bowden. Uh, Billy, Billy Doctrope, sorry. Billy, um, <laughs> I really got Billy Bowden lined up there, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, here he comes. He, um, you, you both were under the impression that the Pakistani team were ball tampering. Yep. Um, what do you remember about that day? Uh, quite a lot, and there's a lot I'd probably be happy to forget as well. Yeah, um, of course. But... Um, Look, it goes back to what I was saying before. The reason you're there as an umpire is to, to make decisions about you know, one side. If uh, you feel they're breaking the law and possibly getting you know, gaining an advantage, well, you're there to put a stop to that and ensure that the other side um, you know, uh, benefits from, from those indiscretions. And look, ball tampering has been going on for, for years and years and you know, everyone sort of had suspicions about this player or that player, but nobody really, you know, sort of took the steps to do anything about it. But in the middle of a test match, when all of a sudden the ball changes condition and starts uh, swinging wildly, uh, like it shouldn't have, um, yeah, that sort of raises your attention. And um, yeah, quite simply, there were a lot of scratches on the ball, and we decided to change it. And, yeah. So, and what are, what are some of the like for those who aren't versed in the world of cricket? What were some of the extremes that teams might go to? to tamper with the ball like you had the Steve Smith saga a few years ago um, <laughs> yeah. but like what would you, what what were some reports that you would see over the years like sandpapering the ball and stuff like that um, I used to hear about in the old days people uh, uh, carrying a bottle top in their pocket and uh, you know putting that in the palm of their hand and yeah sort of rubbing it against the ball yeah. I never I never witnessed that um, other people said that they, if they had a ring on their finger, they'd make a little bit of a jagged edge with it and, and scrape the ball that way. Fingernails, you know, I, I, I would never be able to, um, my fingernails, <laughs> I haven't got enough calcium in my line, but uh, fingernails scratching the ball and um, um, look, the ball does get roughed up uh, over the course of a game anyway, yeah. but that's anything through natural progression, you know, the ball hitting the bat, hitting the pitch, hitting the boundary, you know, whatever, all that's natural, but 
um, anything that's uh, unnatural um, is, um, well, still is against the laws of cricket. Yeah, well, uh, as it you, was then and it still is. Yeah, well, as you, as you said, like if you all of a sudden, because, for example, if you scratch one side of the ball, for those who might not be aware, it'll start swinging in the air more or yeah, that's right. might it's affect the, the way the ball might spin too. Yeah, there's a bit of, um, you know, when a ball's travelling at, uh, you know, out of the bowler's hand at, you know, 130 kilometres an hour, it's, it is quite fast, and at that speed, those little rough bits on, on the side gather more air, so the ball changes direction. That's how it swings. Yeah. And it's, um, uh, it's, it's, not, um, it's not meant to be like that. You know, if, it, if it's naturally roughed up, that's fine, but um, when it's um, intentionally done... Uh, you know the the change is dramatic and it's very quick, whereas the natural progression, as we hear these days, uh, you know, they took England in the Pakistan series just recently um, thirty thirty odd overs before they could get the ball to you know do a bit of reverse swing. Yeah. So that was natural, um, you know, deterioration of the ball. Oh, well, as I said, you mm. you had a set of laws and yeah. you did what you thought was right. I bought with your <laughs> with your other compatriot there, the other yeah. umpire as well. So no, like, good on you for doing what you think was right. I I commend that. You know, I really do. Um, I actually remember I was about 16 at the time, and I've always been a, a passionate fan of cricket. And I remember hearing that England had won by forfeit. I was like, because huh. yeah, like the Pakistani team were protesting in their room, and I just remember the news and the extreme, extreme Pakistani fans doing whatever they were doing. Anyways, we won't delve into that too much. It is what it is, and you know, it's nearly 20 years later, so. Almost. <laughs> yeah, almost. So all good. So also, uh, so you were in the game for another couple of years, and then uh, you, you then turned to a life of broadcasting and stuff like that. So what was the first thing you were doing out, like post cricket? How did you get into the world of broadcasting, or what was first for you after that? Um, oh, look, I sort of drifted into um, broadcasting in a way. Obviously, I'd done a lot of interviews with broadcasters around the world at various stages, so it always intrigued me about. You know, maybe being part of um, you know, radio and community radio is something that um, you know, individuals um, uh, have got the opportunity to come along to a community radio station and put together a show of, with music of their choice, uh, topics that suit them, um, and you know that's what community radio is for. It's 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 not here to sort of say here's a, a standard playlist of the 80s or the standard playlist of um, you know the latest rock and roll um, the the commercial stations have their uh, their way of doing things but community radio is completely different to that mm. you know it's a mix of community information uh, the, th- the thing I get a real kick out of is um, interviewing musicians but just going back to you know where it started uh, we lived out at Hay for a while out on the Hay Plains and the community radio station there um, I got involved and uh, did a few shows and then when we came back here in um, 2019, uh, 2018, um, I got involved with the this one here, FM 107.5. 107.5. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, you know, it, it, it intrigues me that, you know, we can have 20, 25 different people coming in at various stages of the week and, and they all present a different show. You know, your music is, is um, you know, uh, probably more attuned to the younger generation. Um, whereas we've got Gary Ryan, he comes in on Monday and Wednesday nights and he does um, Australian rules on, on Mondays and, and from the vault on, um, on uh, Wednesdays, you know, music from, from 
from way back and a lot of music that people had, you know, ha- maybe haven't even heard. Yep. You know, we've got people who play, you know, hits and memories. Um, we have a bit of uh, bit of jazz. We have uh, quite a few shows, uh, you know, that we take from the community radio network, uh, blues shows and, and things like that. So Step Back in Time is, a, is, is another show that we've taken recently. You know, so there's there's a there's a wide range of um, uh, of um, you know entertainment that people can get out of um, out of community radio, and I think you know seeing people um, come in, you know, such as yourself and uh, and uh, Nathan Shute and a few of the other younger people been involved over the last couple of years, it's great to be able to see you know them come in and, and want to be part of community radio. Mm. Well, it's um so I was involved. Uh, at another community station back in the Hunter, uh, 2CH5 um, in Cessnock there. Once again, a lovely group of volunteers just giving up some time and trying to give something back to the community. And, you know, this station uh, has a little bit more in, in terms of, like, you, you you can stream as well on digitally. Yep. They only had the old panels and, like, just on the FM band, that mm-hmm. was it. Um, this station also goes out, interviews players, covers some local sport, music events. Yep. And I'm yet to... I've been offered to do heaps of opportunities, but I need to next year volunteer some more time and do some of that and give some more back. But yeah, uh, yeah it's been really great knowing that you're going out there and sometimes people ring up, share a story, request a song, and to know that you can make someone's day. Yeah. Um, well, that's right. You know, we've got a lot of regular listeners. Uh, you know, we've uh, Island Down Under on Monday afternoon. Jerry's got a great following. Dusty Doug Spicer on Sunday mornings from nine until twelve. Uh, you know he um, he does uh, rewinds, you know, and takes people back to their the fifties and sixties, and and he's got a great following as well. So it's it's a it's a it's a thing for all sorts of people. But the thing that I've really liked the most over the last uh, year since we re- sort of got out of um, you know the COVID bubbles and things like that is being able to talk to musicians uh, who've re- you know just released their latest music, local musicians. Uh, Australian uh, musicians, uh, you know, just people who struggle to get airplay uh, mm-hmm. on commercial stations, they do rely on, on the community radio network around Australia to, to uh, get airplay. And um, that's, that's one of the great things. Uh, it's really brought home to me what great singer-songwriters we have in Australia. You know, mm-hmm. I prefer the sort of middle-of-the-road uh, rock and roll type uh, music, but um, uh, some of it's a little bit more than that, and uh, some of it's country. But again, you know, as I say, the thing that really that I get the big, biggest kick out of is being able to talk to someone about their music and hear how passionate they are and, uh, you know, where their next gigs are and what they have to do with their next album and, and all that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's really great to uh, community radio to be a platform for that. Yeah, well, that's one reason I like doing the show and this podcast because, like, you can you know, shine a light on people like yourself, the, those that, you know, don't ordinarily get a chance to share their mm. own stories. and yeah. Um, bit of recognition and that's why I like doing it sharing people's stories and I've interviewed some uh, Australian musicians and like I've enjoyed it I mm. even got to speak to the winner of The Voice in last year yeah. um, Bella she was a super nice and yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah like a, I it's something that if you've been on the fence about giving something back to the community yeah. go and volunteer go to something there's something out there for everyone whether mm. it's just the SES whatever it might be yeah. couldn't couldn't uh, say it enough so um, so you've been you're a man of many talents. You've been broadcasting for a time now. And also, people in the intro um, may not have been aware that you're quite a prolific like public speaker. You're also an author. Uh, how was it bringing out some of your own books? Uh, you talk, us about, talk to us mm. about sort of what they're about. and Yeah, well, um, yeah, the first one was more... Um, 
because uh, I was still actively umpiring. Uh, it was probably a little bit limited in in, um, in what I could put out there, but still it got me into, into enough trouble <laughs> uh, with the administrators who said you can't write about um, you know, current players and all that. Anyway, I, I did, um, but uh, the second one was uh, more of a, you know, a final sort of story about you know, how I started in the game, what I got out of it, um, you know, how good it was to, to be part of you know, the international cricket scene. And you know, the controversial incident of um, of the Oval in um, in the ball tampering business, but it gave me the opportunity to you know, tell a story. And people said, "Oh, you know, I like the way the book's written. Who wrote it for you?" And I said, "Well, nobody. I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's uh, every word's mine. Every mistake is mine. So you know, you've got to got to take it like that." So yeah, a couple of books. Um, when I finished umpiring, uh, I did quite a few um, uh, talks at corporate functions uh, with local government, uh, federal government, um, sort of seminars about um, the, the ability to you know, make decisions under pressure and cope with pressure. And yeah. uh, I did a series of, um, of uh, talks for um, the New South Wales Police out at their training centre at um, uh, out near Windsor. And... Um, uh, they were for people who were moving up the chain, you know, like the, the people who were about to become a, you know, a superintendent or, a, you know, um, uh, you know, people who had, had done their time and they were, they were in these, uh, these, um, uh, in the frame to, you know, for promotions, you know, right up to um, uh, chief commissioner and all that sort of thing. So, to be able to do those and to talk about, um, I did a double show once with Ricky Stewart and he talked about. You know his view of, of um, you know the, how how rugby league's played and how it's officiated. And I, I talked about you know cricket, how it's officiated, and and the importance of you know whoever is making the, the end result was you know for police they have to make a decision. You know uh, everything they do, you know, they've got to decide whether to you know get someone a kick in the backside and let them go, or um, whether you know they need to be charged or cautioned. Uh, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of work be- and decision making behind being a, a police officer. Hundred uh, percent, yeah. yeah. And um, you know, it's a fine line that they walk sometimes uh, with you know trying to get it right. So it was interesting to be able to share you know the thought processes um, about um, you know with the with people like the New South Wales Police Force and um, you know local government agencies. So it was it was good to to be involved. But I don't do that anymore. Um, I've got enough to do here at the station. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, and for anyone who's interested, I'm going to post links to Daryl's books as well. And um, so you can go back and have a read. I'm actually going to go back and, um, and check them out myself. No, good. Okay. And um, I don't get royalties anymore, so I don't know where the money goes. <laughs> I'll just, um, I'll, buy, I'll buy a copy and I'll get you to sign it. But, um, so what, what else do you like to do now, like in your post-cricket life, like um, in, you've evolved heavily with the station? What else does Daryl like to do in his time off? Uh, well, yeah, I've got a wonderful border collie who likes to get out of the house every day. So taking him for up to the leash free park uh, is is a good thing to do. But um, um, I don't do a um, a lot of other things. You know, it's nice to travel around and see friends every now and again. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, live a fairly uh, fairly quiet life. And uh, as I said before, we came on air. You know, over Christmas uh, in bed by nine o'clock. So. Not much to see there. <laughs> well, I was—I didn't have a big um, Christmas break myself. I—I uh, I went home to Newcastle, saw some family and friends. Um, I couldn't see my dad; he had COVID. Poor bugger. Mm. So, um, 
you know, I was able to go up and see the, uh, my friends, the Brookses, um, my mum, you know, that side of the family, and brother, sister. It was good. And, um, you know, people have to live lives. And, and right. if you, you know, if you had any advice for those who might hear your story or read your book and thinking, hmm, maybe I'm going to try my hand at the international life. Oh, yeah. What, what advice would you give to someone if they were thinking about trying to take on the highest level mm. of... Um, of officiating a sport. It's great to have the dream like that. Uh, to be honest, I didn't have that dream when I first started. Um, but uh, a lot of people uh, who have the dream of getting to the ultimate uh, level and haven't even really started at the grassroots level, they lose sight of what's actually required uh, in between. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you don't just sort of walk out on the SCG or, or at Lords or, or um, you know, uh, Trent Bridge or Old Trafford in England, all those wonderful grounds. You don't walk out there without having, you know, uh, earned your spot, I yeah. suppose. And the way you do that is firstly you have to become a, a real student of the, the laws and technicalities of the game. And, and you need to be able to, you need to know that backwards and you need to be able to pass a written examination you know, with flying colours. Now, having said that, just because you get 100% in your theory doesn't mean that you're going to be able to transfer that straight away into you know, umpiring on the field. And a lot of people can't. A lot of people are very academic and they can, they can learn anything and pass an examination, but put under pressure to bring that information back and say, oh, that question was, you know, when someone appeals, you can say, oh, that question was in the exam. Yeah, I know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I'm being simplistic about it, but you really have to um, um, know the technical side of it before you can put into into um, force the techniques of, of making those decisions. Yep. So um, there's a lot of work involved. Um, I would suggest joining, you know, a, a body of umpires. Don't try and do it yourself. Uh, you know, most of the... The, I mean, the, the Orange Bathurst District Cricket Association have got an umpires association, so anyone from around here who's um, uh, wanting, to, wanting to do that, uh, but everywhere will have a local association, or just uh, go to the New South Wales Cricket Umpires Association website and find out how to join there, because uh, they run courses all around New South Wales, um, you know, which are accredited uh, with, uh, you know, at, to international standard. Uh, you know, they're the highest level examinations that you can take. So, yeah, the in-between bit is um, understanding. You've also got to have a, a strong understanding of the game of cricket itself. And it's, yeah. it's like when you see, you know, the, I can't uh, remember who it was, but the uh, referee who did the, uh, the World Cup final in uh, just recently, the Soccer World Cup final, you can see that he had a great affinity with uh, understanding uh, the game. And that's why he was so well respected and, and why he rightly earned the, earned the spot to, you know, be in the middle. Um, Making the decision is one thing, but being able to, to sell it to all and sundry is another because you'll always have someone who will disagree. They might come round in the end, but um, uh, you, what you don't want is a complete uproar where um, you know, nobody really knows what's going on. That's true. <laughs> Especially the umpire himself. That's true. Uh, well, uh, yeah, they gave out three, you know, three penalties, I think it was, in the actual final itself, mm. and it was one on penalties. But, yeah, like you got to... So, yeah, be confident in the rules and yeah. know the rules yeah. to be able to go, you know mm. what, no, I, what I suspect you were doing was was wrong Yeah, and mm. I'm going to call you on it, you know? Yeah, well, that's right. But um, as I say, the, the in-between part, you know, passing the examination is a, is, a, is a, that's the starting point and you should never, ever forget any of that for the rest of your, your umpiring career and you should keep up to date with all the changes. But, but uh, as I said, being 
having a, a better understanding of the techniques and, and, and how to put them into place and, and selling your decision goes a long way yep. towards uh, becoming a successful umpire. And uh, all I can't sort of say to somebody um, you know, who's doing their first game, you will be an international um, cricket umpire. But I can say that you know, if, um, if you, you know, go through the right processes and learn from, you know, get yourself a good mentor, uh, learn from the best and uh, take it all on board, um, the world is, as they say, the oyster. Oh, speaking of oysters, I, I absolutely went to town on them on Christmas. Um, but no, it's, uh, yeah, you're 100% right. In my, I, I agree with you. If you can find someone you resonate with, and yeah, and yeah, who knows, there's no limit to what you can do. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, we might wrap things up there shortly, but I might just uh, shout out as well, if you want to hear... Daryl on the airwaves or, you know, even be involved in this station mm. and hear my show, whatever it might be. Um, can you just say how they get in touch with the station? Yeah, sure. Uh, FM 107.5, uh, just type that in uh, orange into your web browser and that'll take you to our web page. You can leave us a message there or um, you can call us on the number um, on the web page as well. Um, find out a little bit more about becoming a member and uh, presenting a show or helping out the station with programming or technical things. There's so many things that uh, people can do yeah. uh, to give a couple of hours a week. And, um, uh, you know, if we get a lot of people doing that, that's, um, that's the way um, yeah, we get things done. So, yeah, I've yeah. learned. It's also it's made me a better presenter. I've learned a few, some audio editing techniques mm. and just getting better at my craft and yeah, you, know, you you get to talk a few people at work said, Oh, I heard you on the radio the other day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Next time give me some song requests and we'll <laughs> But it's been good. But no, like a lot of people should be recognised. Yourself and your wife Amanda, uh, should be recognised as well. Thank you for what you're doing. Mm, uh, you're keeping you. keeping the the dream alive as they say. Yeah. Oh, keeping well, the ship yeah. afloat. Yeah, look, um, community radio, I saw a, an article yesterday saying, is community radio the future of, of radio throughout Australia? And, and it's an interesting article about how localised community radio is and how important it is to each particular area. I mean, you know, we've got different issues to the ones up in far north Queensland or in Darwin. Uh, but it's good that, uh, you know, each station can, can look after their own, their own area, uh, have their own people and, um, you know... Uh, Everyone then benefits from it. You know, the, just the listener who wants to listen to community radio uh, all day uh, gets something out of it because there's so much variety. There's so yeah. much. Uh, uh, you now there's the there's the opportunities there for people to to come along and, and be part of the station, for you know their own uh, well-being. You know, if, if it makes people feel good by being able to learn something and, and say, okay, I put that show together and it's gone to air. You know, that's a, that's a great achievement sometimes for people who might not be high on confidence. So that's, that's what right. we're here for. It's um, There certainly are pros and cons. Like a con is, you know, stations like this don't have the financial backing of like your commun- commercial stations. Mm. But at the same time, on their agenda, they have to meet this, 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 and this criteria. And the, it's always the same, in my opinion, the same monotonous music, limited air time, and it's, com- you know, a quote-unquote a sellout of a station. Whereas mm. here... You get to hear people's stories. You get to, like, for example, um, recently, international listeners, there was bad flooding. There was bad flooding in this area. Mm. And a lot of the surrounding towns around Orange, like Yagara, uh, absolutely were devastated with high river levels and stuff. And, mm. you know, you can ha- you can share stories like that freely. And those people can come to, like, tune in knowing that we have their back and vice versa. 
Yeah. You know, whereas commercial stations might share a little bit, like, but ultimately this is the heartbeat. You know, mm. we rely on each other. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a coexisting ecosystem, quote unquote. But mm. you know, I, I, you know, I've met some cool people through it, and we've actually had a chance to go to some mm. uh, fundraising events. Uh, yep. We won a trivia night. Yep, we did. Yeah, and uh, we were robbed from another one. We <laughs> no, become second. That's, that's the way it goes with trivia. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it's opened. It's opened up some awesome avenues for myself personally, and yep. I just want to say thank you for the year. Mm, and yeah. thanks you to what you do behind the scenes. And yeah, as I said, if anyone's keen to get in touch, get in contact, and have a crack at doing a show, hit me up. I'll put you in touch, or just simply Google one zero seven five FM Orange, and yeah, it'll take you straight to the website. Yep. Leave, leave us a message and um, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, we'll send you a membership form and go from there. Yep. And is there anything else you'd like to close on today? Oh, no. I'd just like to um, thank uh, a lot of people who, you know, behind the scenes, you know, we've got had technical advisors and um, other volunteers who have helped to keep the station on air. You never know when a loose wire is going to occur around here and um, mm. someone's got to come in and find <laughs> find where it is and, and get us back on air. Um it's uh, it's not a not an easy job for volunteers uh, to run a, a station, you know the big uh, you know, commercial stations at ABC have got uh, highly paid technical people to look after all that, yeah. whereas we all do it here on a voluntary basis and we're continually learning. And that's what I mean, you know, someone can come in and um, learn about how the station actually goes to air and um, uh, become part of you know inserting songs and programs into what goes to air. So. Yeah, you know, all that sort of thing. You can actually see the fruits of your labour, if you yep. know what I mean. So I want to, I want to learn more about that sort of things too. Mm, yeah, sound engineering and stuff. Mm. But oh well, uh, you're certainly locked in for a, a few training sessions then. Sweet, Mitch. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, um, but yeah, as always, everyone, thanks for listening, and um, hopefully it won't be as long until I put the next one out. Thanks for your time today, Daryl. Appreciate it. And, all right, um, yep, you take care. And hopefully the Aussies win and absolutely destroy them in this uh, Boxing Day test. Yeah, why not? They're about to, I think. <laughs> Anyways, be safe, everyone. See you next time.